Welcome to Fishtory, your source for fish and aquarium history. Today's sponsor is ShrimpEnvy.com. Shrimp Envy is a wonderful handmade organic shrimp food line. You can find it at ShrimpEnvy.com and use promo code FISHTORY at checkout, F-I-S-T-O-R-Y, at checkout for 10% off of your entire purchase at ShrimpEnvy.com. Check it out, 100% all-natural food, using ingredients such as stinging nettle, mulberry leaves, spirulina, kale, spinach, and much more. Check out your complete line of food, Shrimp Envy. It's only natural. Each other, tri old tribal alliances that used to have uh, ways of being sorted out no longer did under colonial rule, and certain tribes were just given the power to rule other tribes and today we still have genocides going on in the 90s we had another four million people die in the congo currently we're having people die in the congo same with uh what is modern day sudan and darfur also we have boko haram and terrorist groups throughout this region this is where cribs come from cribensis this is where cichlids come from down here the the rift lakes so those areas, we start to see fish coming out of there and people bringing them back, but it's still some time before they dial in how to take care of them. I just wanted to mention those things because they do come back to haunt us. So Europe has its grasp on Africa due to gold fields in South Africa and diamond mines and all sorts of things that they wanted. Now here is the terminus of that. You can see it's even more... Uh, solidified the British in the pink and uh, Belgium and then the French also have great sway and these start to only unravel after World War II but also going on back in China the start of this and in India Great Britain has taken over and France has taken over Vietnam in those regions also the Netherlands Portugal the United States with the Philippines uh, Japan had annexed Korea and also, then there's China, who remains somewhat independent, but really under British rule, especially as Japanese attacked Manchuria later on, and we've got all sorts of political... I'll get into that later, okay, you guys? Uh, but what I wanted to show you is that basically all these ports, now we have steamships. We can get these fish back. We can get interesting goldfish from Japan, like Ryukin, and we can get them back. We have Hong Kong as a trade port for the British. We have Singapore as another, which is still a major fish hub. It is still the number one fish seller. Japan, number two. Uh, the Czech Republic, number three. The United States, number four. Uh, Taiwan, also high on that list, depending on the year. But they bring back uh, kissing fish or paradise fish. They also bring back fighting fish, things like this, which finally brings the aquarium into the home with some color other than gold. And that really sparks an interesting uh, era. We also get, as this Asian imperialism happens, the railroads that I showed earlier start getting more developed. America starts to have Chinatowns and uh, Filipino parts of town, all, every Asian group that you can name up until the turn of the century when people got racist in America and started banning, uh, it was called the Chinese Exclusion Act or the Oriental Exclusion Act, there were all sorts of laws passed. You couldn't have these uh, cues or ponytails, you couldn't carry laundry on two shoulders, but nevertheless these people establish uh, 
towns and districts. You can still see San Francisco and New York and Seattle's Chinatown or international districts. And uh, the fish, the food, all became a part. And, you know, curious other people in the region start to share that. And that's everything from amazing textiles and art and music and instruments to opium to gambling to cards to dice to uh goldfish you know it's it's across the board all things good and bad come from cultures meeting now here we have another simple aquarium here you can see by the 1800s we really peak with uh your everyday aristocrats in america for instance this is from uh Taunton, Massachusetts, this is a mail order uh, woodcut image that shows that you can get candelabras and fishbowls for your table. You can get a candelabra that also heats your fishbowl, oil lamps that can heat miniature fishbowl. It's, it's just, uh, America kind of goes fish crazy uh, for a little while, and these ornate aquariums begin to pop up in the 1880s and onward. There's this beautiful Victorian-era aquarium here that somebody's retrofitted. Um, you know, pet stores begin to carry all sorts of pets, probably in poor conditions. There's a great loss when they come in, all sorts of disease. But you got pets loaded up here. You have fish tied off in baskets, and you could take home goldfish. Here's a little more modern. This is 1907 in New York City. You can see goldfish bowls here. You can see... Uh, that behind the counter they have fish in tanks back in here and then they have stacks of small tanks for uh, betta fish and Chinese fighting fish which also was a sport I hate to say but people would fight them so uh, here's more of the tanks going on and as this all goes on we begin to see the early uh, forms of flight and so People are excited about empire in the Western world. They're bringing back animals. They're building zoos, aquariums. They still don't quite understand how to keep fish best, but certain people are learning how to breed, and they closely keep these secrets, and they're aquarium uh, hobbyists, and they're secret aquarium clubs, almost like stonemasons or, uh, you know, these, these meeting hall clubs. And so it becomes rather... Uh, fashionable to keep goldfish but more so these larger tanks now you can see that in the jewelry and the artifacts of the time that there there was a, a vogue about it in europe early on by the 1850s they're in new york and by the 18 mid like 1858 they're all the way to chicago goldfish and other fish uh in 1856 uh you've got emile Adolf Rosa Mahler, who uh, talks, and I butchered that name, uh, who talks about Sea in a Glass, which is a book that talks about keeping ocean fish alive. That didn't give a ton of information on how to do it, but it basically talked about it being possible. The, the Book of the Aquarium by Shirley Hibbard in 1856. So 1856 was a pivotal year. All these books come into vogue, even though they weren't popular for the mainstream at the time. They come into vogue. They get reprinted. We've got sea in a glass. We've got ocean in a tank. We've got ocean in your home. Um, on the treatise of keeping aquatic fish, oceanarium, uh, all sorts of books coming out. And in 1938, we see the first oceanarium, which is a million-gallon pond in St. Augusta, Florida, 
kind of ironically, Spanish imperialism, that is the oldest city in America, is St. Augusta, Florida, and they had this place called Marineland, like the Marineland filters, uh, and they had dolphins that they brought in, and they had them jump and do tricks, and they would pump immense amounts of water in and out, being that they were in a warm climate, they didn't have to heat things, they let fish in and out, they kept the big fish in, and they put everything all together, there were some issues with glare and traffic flow, but you started to see this popping up in the southern United States, in the Mediterranean, where it was warm enough to keep fish. They also had to keep fish cool. So the, the temperature thing and the nitrate cycle were hard, and the ocean end of saltwater keeping kind of splits from freshwater keeping here and begins to become a real, uh, a real different uh, beast altogether. Here you can see, I'm going to leave you in the 1930s, and this is kind of an art deco, if you will, or proto-art deco. This is a saltwater aquarium. You notice there's not fish in there. If there are, they're probably small, like um, gobies or something along those lines, mud skippers, or little, little critters that don't need a lot of heat and live in tide pools, so they can take like the heat of the sun versus the cold water, and they can adapt easily tide pools in areas like in England and uh, the United States, Seattle, where I live, we've got sea anemones and things like that that can withstand a large temperature range and in and out of water, things like that. And the 1930s, we also see Dutch aquariums and underwater gardening. And really, we see that full ecosystem as being the only way to keep fish without ammonia building up other than goldfish and uh, betta fish and we begin to see more and more exploration, more fish coming in, and as the 19th century starts, we start to see all sorts of subtropical and tropical fish like pleco catfish, things like that uh, coming in, as well as crustaceans, snails, hermit crabs, um, danios coming in from uh, Southeast Asia, and uh, all sorts of uh, interesting little fish that we keep tetras from South America start to make an appearance right around the time of World War II. World War II really blows the lid off of everything technology-wise, opening the world. Americans go out, everyday Americans sign up, everyday Britons, you name it, Germans, Japanese, both sides, Axis and the Allies, go out into the world and they see the incredible, beautiful diversity of fish. They see what's out there. And by the end of the war, once the bloodshed and horror is over, they want to bring a piece of it home. And so I'm going to leave it there on the, on the crest of World War II. And we have airliners that are able to cross the sea at this point. We've had Amelia Earhart and we've had um, the, uh, the several uh, circumnavigations of the world as well as... Um, cross-Atlantic flights. We have obviously telegrams, but now telephones coming into TV after the war. And really marketing of fish gets stepped up from being mail order and hobbyist oriented to undergravel filtration and water. Um, flake food by Dr. Bench. Uh, his flake food in 1952. But I'm going to leave it there, you guys. I know I've talked a lot. So I hope you learned a lot. I hope this was interesting. I couldn't find great videos on the history of ancient aquarium and fish keeping and horticulture really 
uh, so I wanted to put one together. I know it's not perfect. Comment if you if you know something that I didn't mention that's important to you, and uh, I hope you enjoyed it. If you stuck with me this long, please, please, please think about liking, uh, leaving a comment, subscribing, maybe sharing the video. I'd like that. That'd be nice. I, I like it when people share. Sharing is caring. And uh, also, I would like to say, if if you made it to the end, think about subscribing and hitting that bell because you are probably the fish nerd I need to talk to when I do my daily updates with little curiosities and quirks going on in my aquariums but also these historic videos that I'm trying to get out at least once a week but I'm just trying to get more material out there while I have the time in my life which I do currently as a graphic designer so you guys take care of yourself take care of your fish take a nap after watching this long video and I will talk to you later. Swim on. Uh, if you want to support the channel, you can always check out the link below to Patreon. And I just wanted to thank y'all for your time. And I will keep making the videos if you keep watching them. Take care, guys. Have a great weekend and a sunny Sunday, a, a happy Saturday, and a great week next week. Take care, guys. Swim on.